What's happening, Night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Luke Saris with you. Savage Luke in the house here in the, <laughs> as we get ready for NFL Draft uh, NFL Draft Weekend. Uh, how many people have you been smacking down on Twitter of late, Luke? It's uh, it's it's been a quiet off season. It's um, <laughs> I've 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 taken some time. You know, I want to recharge the battery. So when football season rolls around, I'll be ready to go again. Yeah, you're 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 uh, you know you're you're hitting the weights. You know you're you're well, yeah, a, a metaphorical weights. <laughs> right. Murph is here too, uh, no doubt. Uh, uh, I mean, okay, there's no quarterbacks from UCF for the Giants to take, right, Murph? So we don't have to worry about that. This is correct. Yeah, uh, may, Justin we may have, uh Well, <laughs> well, no, Justin. Uh, Justin was a free agent, right? Yeah, so he was. Um, so he would be, they would have to, you know, I was about to say they would have to peel him away from the Atlanta legends, but not so much. All right. Anyway. Yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, here we are. We are black and gold banneret, black and gold banneret.com UCF's home on the SB nation network. You can follow us at facebook.com slash black and gold banneret and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. You can follow each of us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon Spokes underscore Murphy and Luke Saris, S-A-R-R-I-S-S-B-N on Twitter. Uh, by the way, Lopez is going to uh, join us a little bit later. Uh, we're actually recording this on Wednesday night, uh, April 24th. And softball just completed uh, their victory over Bethune-Cookman 7 to nothing. So... Uh, he's finishing that out. He'll probably be joining us a little bit later to talk about that and lots of other stuff. We're going to be talking some tennis. We're going to be talking some golf. We'll be talking about baseball. Uh, Murph and Luke, I know you guys are going to be thrilled about that. But uh, we will begin with what's coming up next. Thursday night starts the NFL draft for 2019. Uh, and uh, several UCF players are getting a little bit of buzz. Um, and that's why Luke is here to try and break some of that down. So there were, uh, if you count the guys who went to UCF Pro Day, plus Dredrick Snelson, who left early, UCF has 13 players who are at least eligible to be drafted. Obviously, they're not all going to be drafted, but um, I guess we'll start with this. And some of the names, you know, Pretty familiar names, you know, Tristan Hill, Mac Loudermilk, Matt Wright, um, Michael Colabiali, Pat Jasinski, Wyatt Miller, I mentioned Snelson, Titus Davis, Kyle Gibson, Joey Connors, uh, et cetera, et cetera. However, um, from what I've been seeing, guys, the only UCF guy who's been getting a lot of draft buzz has been Tristan Hill. Obviously, last year, UCF had, what, five guys go? Um, this year, Hill, it's at least possible, could be the only guy uh, who goes for UCF from uh, in this year's draft class. But Luke, we'll start with you. I don't know. It is it, Hill seems to be the most likely knight who's going to go. Would he be the only one? Um, if you're asking for my crystal ball prediction, I, I do think he's the only one that gets drafted. Uh, it's you know, it, it's not that big of a. Uh, a group, you know, a, a lot of the the core talent for for this UCF team, it, they're still on the team. Uh, so this is one of those gap years where there's, 
not as much talent, um, you know, graduating or declaring. But yeah, I think uh, I think he'll be the only one uh, represented in the draft. But I think he will uh, be picked pretty a lot earlier than than most people think. So uh, it'll be a good look for UCF. Where do you think he'll be? Where do, you, where do you think he'll be taken? Since it's, since I think everything's at the third, the third round. Do you think he'll be taken before that? Well, I wasn't going to uh, talk about that. I thought we were like segueing the. Oh, yeah. Ah. Well, nice. hey, we'll, 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 we'll go ahead and put you on the spot, Luke. We're not above. We're not below that. No, I, I, I definitely <laughs> think. Um, I definitely think he will. If, if you're asking me my opinion, I, I think he'll be taken in the third round. Uh, but there are some some draft analysts who are saying he might be, uh, you know, there's talks for him being a top 60 pick that we could see him taken in the second round. So um, his his draft stock kind of just skyrocketed out of nowhere. Um, but like I said, it, it, it'll be a good uh, a good representation uh, for UCF on draft day. Is. Uh, it- there's been, there was a little bit of I don't want to say controversy. I think that's a I think that's a strong word. I'll throw this open to the both of you because there is a little bit of complaints about you know was he misused at UCF? You know why didn't we see more of him? Because when he was in there, he was totally dominant. Um, it, it, I don't know what is that just you know a typical NFL draft you know batting back and forth, you know, building a guy up to knock him down, or is is there a there there? Uh, I mean, people who say that that UCF underutilized Tristan Hill or are questioning why he didn't play more don't understand the psychology of Tristan Hill. Uh, the reason why he didn't play, or at least why he didn't start out of the gate last year, is because he didn't want to learn the 4-3 system. Uh, he didn't want to learn the 4-3 defense that Randy Shannon was installing. He saw himself as a 3-4 nose tackle and was very sort of uh, obstinate to sort of become just stay there and just become like a nose tackle, no ifs, ands, or buts. And they sort of had to break him down and say, look, you're going to have to play this role. And he you know, got, in the, got with the program, but it took a while. Um, he wasn't always the best player on the practice field. Uh, his effort is inconsistent. Uh, he, he, there's lots of maturity questions that surround Tristan Hill. I think all of the issues about the, like the red flags and what he can and can't do all have to do with like his mental mindset and, and his psychology. Like physically he is great when he wants to be great. And so he could be a major steal for some team in the, in the third or third round because he's got first round ability with his, if he if he goes with a consistent motor, with his athleticism and his bowling ball size, um, he can be great. But it's it, it's can he can he do it consistently? Uh, can he get someone to really tap into him and, and and get him fired up and come to practice every day and compete hard every day and you know keep his nose clean, all those kind of things off the field too. Because um, uh, if he if, if if someone gets into someone gets in gets to him and straightens him out. He can be absolutely fantastic and a major steal. By the way, Murph, uh, uh, folks, if you're listening at home, uh, you can cross off motor on your draft cliche uh, bingo <laughs> board. For, so congrats <laughs> to Murph on using that. Um, yeah, it, it's that could be a red flag for some for some teams. I know that he's taken visits, uh, at least reportedly, with the Browns, Texans, 
uh, Packers, Eagles, Cowboys, Dolphins, and Jets. I know that the Cowboys really like them. Um, 15 total teams. 15 total teams? Okay, so wow. The reason I know that is because I'm writing his draft profile right now. (laughs) And listen, and I think you brought up a good point earlier that let's say he is the only UCF Knight drafted. That's not necessarily a bad thing for UCF. People are going to look at me like, Wow, where's all your talent? Uh, actually, they're all still here. That's 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 actually not a not a bad thing. I, I, all right, so let me throw this uh, back to you, Luke. If a um, or actually, I'll throw this to the both of you. If a second UCF night gets drafted on any one of the three days, who do you think it'll be? And Luke, we'll start with you. I mean, um, the I think the only viable option there would be Dredrick Snelson. Um, but I still don't think he'll be drafted. I'm not really sure what, um, I'm not sure where he got the advice or the, the insight that, that led him to declaring, but I, I haven't heard pretty much anything, uh, you know, surrounding him. That was my thought too. I was, I've been, I was searching around for him all over the place and I just, there's literally no news on him, and obviously he was an early entry, so he didn't go to the uh, he he didn't go to pro day at UCF. I think he went back down to back down home down to uh, down to South Florida to to train. But I but yeah, you're right. I, I haven't seen anything on him either, which strikes me as kind of weird. No, a hundred percent. But with that being said. I think he would be uh, the only other option to get drafted. But like I said, um, I, I don't think that will happen. Murph, what do you think? Well, I would say that Drudrick wasn't pro. He wasn't the UCF pro day. Oh, he was. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, he did. He did attend the pro day. He actually compared himself to uh, to Keenan Allen and a few other all pros that I that I forget but it was it was like okay well yeah, it, yeah, you can't you can't knock you can't knock confidence um that's, I, but I think, that that is, that's been his personality the entire time he's been at UCF yeah that's exactly <laughs> true yeah if we're oh, we're going to put 70 on him <laughs> <laughs> yeah that too which which I I'll admit I will miss that <laughs> which might or might not have gotten him suspended for a game uh, yeah. Or benched for a game for saying that. Um, I think I, I, it's kind of a toss for me as to whether what uh, like who can get drafted besides Tristan Hill. And, and my name is not. Uh, I, I don't think it's Nelson. I think it's either Wyatt Miller or Titus Davis. I think Wyatt Miller. You know, you could always use an offensive lineman in the NFL, and I think he's not big enough to stay at tackle. He's probably not three hundred pounds. So he's going to have to kick inside to guard. Uh, but I think he could do that with his experience. Um, and I think Titus Davis, with his experience playing both on the line as a pass rusher and then as a linebacker next to Shaquem Griffin a couple years ago, he can play both sides of, the, of a 3-4, 4-3. Um, you know, he's way undersized, but being undersized as a pass rusher isn't really a detriment anymore if you're ultra quick. Now, he's not. Uh, he is not uh, a hyper-athlete. Um, but I, I think he at least has the, the, the knowledge of playing multiple positions as a, as a proficient enough pass rusher to give himself a look in a, in a pass rush league. So I think if I had to choose one of those two, I'd say Wyatt Miller is probably a nose ahead of, 
of a Titus Davis for me. Yeah, Davis is an interesting case because it seems like the tools are there for him to be a sort of uh, to, to, for him to play linebacker, but it just seems that everything is so crowded in there. Um, we'll, we'll do a little uh, sort of rapid fire here, uh, and I'll throw these open to the both of you. Um, well, I was going to start with Michael Colabiali, but it looks like Jacksonville is pretty dead set on maybe bringing him in and as an undrafted um, free agent. So um, put him aside for now. But uh, Pat Jasinski, what, what do you think might be the op- option for him there? And again, pro- possible free agent or could he be in a, le- a late round pickup? Uh, no, free agent, if only. I mean, he can't move backwards. Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> no, like, that no. seems like a like, problem. No. I, I mean, I mean, like, I know this is a UCF podcast. We need to be favorable for UCF players, but like, if if we're if we're going to adjust, if we're going to judge them as as you know, pro talent evaluators, will you look at Patrzynski? He is a guy who really hits you hard when he's coming at you forward. Uh, but his backpedal and his lateral agility are just absent. Um, he just doesn't have any of that. So if he get if he gets going forward with a head full of steam, like yeah, he's great. Um, but yeah, I just don't see him having any, enough of the athleticism or, or agility to be a draft pick at all. Yeah, he's he, he's a, a true run stopping, you know, linebacker. He <laughs> you see him in pass coverage by either mistake or on purpose, most of the time by mistake. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, he's got a great motor. Keyword. Um, <laughs> there you go. Knock it off twice. Listen, uh, he he hits hard, and and I think he's one of those guys. He gives you everything he can give within his physical limits, but I don't think I think his physical limitations as far as athleticism and speed. Um, I, I I honestly I don't believe he'll even get a look as an undrafted free agent. Um, maybe he'll, he'll wind up in a rookie camp, but uh, I think it'll be very similar to a, um, like a Terrence Plummer situation where, you know, successful career ECF, although I think Terrence Plummer was a better linebacker, um, but, you know, just didn't, didn't cut it in the NFL. You know, maybe he'll have a career up in uh, the top head of America, America, uh, the Canadian football league or the XFL Vince, if you're listening, um, the, <laughs> <No>. uh, <laughs> uh, Kyle Gibson, what do we think of Kyle? Uh, gra- Oh, go ahead. Luke. Go ahead. Luke. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, I, I completely forgot Kyle Gibson, um, was part of this group. I think that's no, I, I, I don't know if he listens, but if somebody tells him about this, I didn't mean that in a bad way. Um, I think, but, yeah, I think we pretty much say that about all these guys. I mean, it's it's yeah. not that we don't like you. It's just we got to be honest with the audience. And if you and if by the way, if you are listening and you're listening to this and, and your blood is boiling, good. Prove us wrong. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, um, I think his issue will be lack of opportunity. Um, but I think if he gets an opportunity. Uh, somewhere along the lines to to prove himself, I think he can he can be a little bit of a a hidden gem. I mean he he's he's a very talented player and and, and he showed that at UCF. Um, I just think he the 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 issue he'll have is getting those opportunities to prove himself. Um, but I, I think uh, if he gets the right opportunity, I think he, he'll surprise some people. I've always been a big uh, 
Kyle Gibson fan. He was a, he was a late bloomer at UCF, but he um, he really developed into um, you know everything they thought he would be when they uh, when they signed him. SD highlights actually called him the most underrated safety in the nation. I mean, we know he's experienced. He was a redshirt senior. Um, it, 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 Certainly played his share his share of uh, his, his share of key games over the last few years. You know he went to another football factory in uh, Armwood uh, Senior High School, so um, at least he's from some familiar familiar grounds on there. I don't know, uh, Murph. You got you always got to look at uh, at these guys just as well as Luke did. What do you think about Kyle? And I think Kyle probably had I don't know if you if you gave him some truth serum and say he had a bit of a disappointing senior season. I mean because he was so good as a junior. And got himself as a preseason preseason watch list as a senior. I think he um, didn't live to, didn't live up to expectations, and I don't think we, had, we I don't think we really bagged him much on it because Richie Grant was just so good. It didn't really matter that Kyle Gibson was uh, dropping off a bit because Richie Grant picked up all the slack. Right. Um, but but Kyle is is aggressive safety. Uh, I, I think we know he likes to hit people because I don't know if there's any player ever. Who has ended back-to-back seasons uh, prematurely due to targeting penalties? Uh, <laughs> but that that happened with Kyle in both the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I, I don't know if he is that great in coverage. I really don't know if he's that good in run defense. Uh, I mean, it's like technique-wise, he's, mo- he's like moderate at best. Like, you know, he's he's a decent he's a decent ball hawk, but I, I don't really see a whole lot of like standout skills. Since we're talking about defensive backs, I will say one guy that I like and like if, like for like a really really deep cut, and only because it, it's literally based on like the last month of the season. I thought Rashard Causey was this team's best defensive back uh, for the past month of the year, and maybe he's only a nickel back or only a slot back, uh, and you know he he doesn't get hardly a look, but he really locked down some really good slot receivers uh, with the Temple game, the Cincinnati game late in the year with Memphis. And then, uh, I think, uh, well, LSU wasn't as good, but um, but he really had some really strong games. I get it. I thought he was the best uh, corner they had, best D, the best DB outside Richie Grant they had on that team for the past for the last month of the season. So I, I hope he gets at least a look. If someone gives him a look, I feel like I'll be, I'll, I'll be you know, I'll be, you know, uh, satisfied because I just want him to get seen by somebody because I really thought he deserved it with how he played late in the year. People forget Kazi was a a big recruit for UCF. He had a yeah, lot of really big offers, um, and it just you know it never really panned out throughout his career until this past season. I mean, even then he still wasn't a starting corner. I mean, he, you know, you saw him in the nickel, but I agree with Murph on that. Definitely, um, definitely one of the most under undervalued defensive players UCF had this past season. Yeah. It's a credit to you know the fact that I think UCF was so loaded in the secondary the last couple of years too. I think that's you know like you were saying, Murph. I mean that's that's one of the keys. Like and guys get lost in the shuffle and you can't play all the defensive backs at one point. But I think you know it's the same case in the NFL. You know, it seems like out of a fifty-three player roster, probably twenty of them are defensive backs in the NFL. Right. I mean, so I mean, really, yeah. yeah, there's space for you somewhere probably. Um, two guys real quick, um, Taj McGowan and Joey Connors were thinking undrafted free agent invitees, right? Yes. I mean, Taj does not, Taj just is not, uh, his, his style of game really doesn't play much in the NFL anymore. Uh, he is a 19, he's a 1980s back. 
Um, he doesn't catch. He's not multifaceted in any way. Joey's interesting because like it doesn't look like he'd be. He's he really is kind of sneaky athletic for a guy who looks like he's been just drinking like old style for like, the past <laughs> three weeks straight. I mean, really, I mean, really, like his body. Boy, these guys me... are all going to be thrilled with you, Murph. <laughs> <laughs> his body, like you, like his body on the field, like wow, he's just, you know, he's kind of a space filler, but he's not. He actually had some pretty good moves last year, and I, it, I, it got out of hand late in the year when Randy <sighs> Shannon, Randy Shannon compared him to, uh, I want to say he compared him to Fletcher Cox, Aaron Donald, and and Adama Kinsu. Uh, so there was, wow, that's impressive. That's a, that happened. Randy for the comps, man. It, it was great. It, you can actually all that, that article's on the black gold banneret. I wrote that up. Uh, but it, it, I guess he's kind of sneaky athletic. Um, I just don't think he, again, he's not really a pass rusher. He really is more of a run stopper, if anything. Um, and I just don't think he's going to, he's probably not going to get a look because Tristan Hill, um, is going to get all the looks on that defensive line. The uh, I guess we'll wrap this segment with uh, well, two of our favorite nights of all time, um, uh, the, the kickers, uh, Mac Loudermilk and uh, and Matt Wright. I guess we'll start with uh, Matty Ice because you know he didn't get the chance to really showcase his distance very much over this over the last couple of years because you know well UCF scored a ton of touchdowns, <laughs> um, and 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 you know but that's one thing that you know I think if. If you get him in there, uh, if it, or if a team does get him in there, is there a chance that you could see him? Because he was incredibly accurate um, with, with his kicking this uh, this year, and really improved on that. I thought too, right? Uh, I, I guess Luke, I'll defer to you on that one. Yeah, hundred um, percent. It just he he didn't get as many opportunities as uh, you know most kickers do, but when when. It was time for him to kick that field goal. I don't. I think I speak for every UCF fan when I say, um, you know, you expected that that you know to to make it between the uprights. Um, I kick, kicking so I've never really understood how kickers get their opportunity in the NFL. Um, I think Matt Wright can. I don't know if he will. Um, I always think back to uh, I thought. Caleb Houston was such a great punter mm-hmm. and um, he, he didn't get any looks. So not that I recall anyway, or maybe yeah. he wasn't as good of a punter as I remember, but I just remember thinking, I'm like, why? I, I just, I don't understand the dynamic of, of specialists with the NFL. So I, I couldn't tell you honestly, if he has any, any sort of chance or not. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Murph on this one. Well, I think the only thing that really sets kickers apart, place kickers, is, is if you do, if you have a giant leg, if you're like a Sebastian Janikowski, you know, then you get noticed because you can nail anything from you know past the fifty yard line. People will take a look at you. Matt Wright does not have that type of leg. Um, I don't know what his deep, I don't know what his max yardage was. I don't think it was above fifty five. Uh, I can imagine, but uh, for Matt Wright, here's what I want. I do not want him going to the NFL. I want him being sent to Cape Canaveral. And to fill out his aerospace engineering dreams and to uh, work uh, with SpaceX or NASA. I, I, that's what he wants to do in life. And that's what I'd like him like for him to do as well. That's very kind of you. man. He, oh, he, I, he, I, I, oh. he'll be Go successful ahead. either way. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I, we're not worried about uh, Matt Wright's success. I will say this. Um, 
for his career, Matt was 55 of 71. That's 77.5%. But last year, he was 12 out of 14. Um, and just to put it into perspective, his first season as a kicker uh, was 2015 as a freshman. He was uh, 17 of 17 on extra points. Uh, in 2017, two years later, he was 80 of 81 on extra points. So that gives you an idea of the kind of the kind of seasons he was having. I don't have any uh, I don't have any data on his long, however, um, from this. So that's unfortunate. But um, nonetheless, you know, if you're finishing up with accuracy, it's good. And I can't, we can't we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Mac uh, Loudermilk, who um, obviously cut his hair, cut his beard, donated to Donated it to Locks of Love. Look, he's back to his, you know, freshman year baby face looking self. Um, I, I, we saw a video of him actually kicking uh, in, uh, it, not a camp, but uh, but in terms of a workout. And it looks like he's been working pretty hard on on honing his skills in advance of the draft. And it's so hard to, to predict a kicker getting drafted. But do you think Mac will get a look? Um, at the next level, somebody bringing him in for uh, a preseason look or two. What do you think, Murph? Oh man, he cut the hair off, so it's like Samson. I right? yeah, I mean, I mean it's it, it actually. I, he's but like, for, but for a good cause, right? Like, like we can't get cause, that. Yeah, but cause. well, I hope it's not like Samson. Geez, you know, because <laughs> you know, he was. I hate to say, I may, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but he was so marketable. It's crazy, but um, yeah, but, I agree. Yeah, but now I I don't know, but um, no. I guess someone should give him a look, right? I mean, I thought his numbers improved towards the end of the year last year, no? Yeah, I mean, again, with kickers, it's really like, do you catch one executive's eye that he'll take a look at you, you know, in the in in, a, in a, for a camp somewhere? Like they're not going to be drafted, so do you catch anyone's eye that maybe you get an invite to a camp and then maybe an injury befell somebody in front of you and you get your chance? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's really nothing. I mean, what can you say? I mean, really, what can you say? I, I don't know. I have no idea. Well, he, he averaged 43.4 last year, which is not the greatest average in the world. But if you can yeah. boost that average up above 45, I think, you know, at least in terms of workouts, I think that might be something that guys will take a look at. All right. So the NFL draft starts on uh, Thursday. It's the, the first round Thursday, second and third round on Friday night, and then rounds four four through seven on Saturday during the day. And it's televised in 15 different places. Now it used to be only on ESPN. Now it's ESPN NFL network. They're putting, they're putting some of it on, uh, I know. Yeah. Some of it's on the Ocho. Uh, there are simulcasts. I think Fox is somehow involved. Um, ABC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's in uh, Nashville this year. Is that right? Yeah. That's an interesting pick. Nashville. You know, remember when they moved it out? They moved it out of New York and they put it in yeah. Chicago for a year. It's like, oh, I get it. Or they moved it to Dallas. Oh, yeah, I kind of get that because Dallas, the Cowboys, Nashville. That's an very, interesting, very twenty first century city, don't you think? Big football really? town. Yeah, big football mm-hmm. town. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like Nashville's, it was a center of culture for you know in the latter part of the twentieth century, and now it's like, and now it's like the, the secret's out, right? It's kind of it's kind of like uh, Austin. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you know I was gonna... All right. So we'll be, we'll be following the NFL draft. Uh, Luke, you got some you got some work coming up. I know you've got something on uh, uh, Tristan coming up. And then I think you're looking at a couple of other these guys, a couple other guys as uh, late late round draftees, right? Yep. Um, 
should be seeing that here shortly as I cool. as I wrap that up. Um, also, side note, uh, Matt Wright, career long, per... I'm going to say it's less than 55. Well, I mean, I think most college kickers' career long is less than 55. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to say 51. Is it 51? It is, per the reliable ESPN, 50. 50 on the dot. Okay. 50 on the dot. So... You guys have talked to former players. I've talked to former former players and they all say the same thing is that you know all i want is a shot you know if i get a shot and i don't make it i can live with that but all i want is a shot and these guys that that's what i hope for every single one of these guys is that they all get a shot if they don't make it they don't make it that's okay i'm sure that a lot of them can live with it but at least they they know that they gave it an opportunity and if it and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out that's and okay let's be, and let's be honest if these guys get a camp invite that's kidding <laughs> and you can't even you can't even say they'll get a fair shot because it's not up to them. If the guy in front of them stays healthy, it really doesn't matter how much they'll play. It's a game of numbers, and they just get X'd out. And no one picks them up, and oh well. So it's it's tough. But you would like to see someone like not even a fair shot, just like you said, Jeffrey. Any any feeler at all for a pro team for these guys on the on the very far fringes, the the louder milks, the Connors. The causes, guys like that, like yeah, that'd be that that'd be great, and that's all we'd really like to see. Yeah. Well, that was the beauty of having the uh, the Apollos for a while. Yeah, but, yeah, hey, yeah. Uh-huh. These guys might get their shot with the Apollos, but you know. Yeah, and at the very least, it was another opportunity for them to get their shot. You know, and yeah. I mean, there are guys. Who, I mean, I'm sure that some of these guys might get a look from the Orlando Predators. Um, yeah. You know how much the Orlando Predators get paid? Uh, nothing. Pretty much two hundred and twenty-five dollars a week. What? Man, because I know I know that the I know that the guys in the Apollos they were making uh they were making seven grand a game. They were all making so so ten regular season games. That's seventy thousand a year. That's a pretty decent, you know, upper middle class salary <laughs> for yeah for four months of work. Uh, you know, and uh, two hundred twenty bucks a. I mean, man. I know. I know. They're just only restarting the franchise. And it's well, that that's the league. league. That is but, the league whew. pay. Yeah, I, I think I think housing may be included. I heard that somewhere, but um, the housing's worth wait, wait, housing. Where if they're making two hundred and twenty bucks? A week? No, no, no. That's, that, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I think I think the team may provide some sort of. I don't know. Long story short, I know it's like two hundred twenty five bucks a week, and um, that is. Why I, I think most of those guys have regular jobs. I mean, yeah. um, Israel's I, there. I mean, you know, he's he's the GM of a uh, little Greek. Love that place. Yeah, yeah, and you're, and, just, and the you're welcome. It's the Orlando Predators. So uh, yeah, we'll have we'll have to. I'll have to reach out to Kyle see if we can get on to that and have him talk about the situation out there. But um, but anyway, like we said, good luck to all these guys. We'll be following this uh, the NFL draft as it goes and letting you know where guys go. Um, as they go, probably won't be as busy a draft weekend, uh, this weekend for UCF guys as it was last year, but you never know. We could be wrong. It's the NFL draft. It's weird. Murph, how are you feeling about Daniel Jones? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I, I, I guess I'm not feeling that great because I've heard so much more about, about Haskins than Daniel Jones that I really haven't formed a great opinion. I just know that if the Giants do draft Daniel Daniel Jones, they will screw it up royally. So I'm looking forward to that. 
Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, you know, well, another Cutcliffe quarterback. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a break. When we get back. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Eric Lopez. He's going to be back. He's co- he's going to talk uh, softball with us, and we'll also uh, talk a little bit about uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about men's golf uh, and women's golf, and also the tennis teams playing in the American Athletic Conference Championships uh, and getting the split at uh, Lake Nona and chance and the chances that they both both might come back to Lake Nona uh, for the NCAAs uh, in a couple weeks. That and more in a little bit. This is the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Back after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Luke Saris with you. And Eric Lopez is joining us fresh off of uh, fresh off of UCF softball getting, uh, well, splitting a doubleheader today, but we'll get to that in a second. But um and eric's fired up about it i know but we have uh we have other pressing conference news to uh deal with eric lopez this weekend uh what a weekend it was for ucf women's tennis uh as they take the their first conference championship since 2002 when they were in the atlantic sun the ucf women's tennis team uh wins the american by sweeping South Florida, the Knights went a perfect 12-0 and 0 in the conference tournament en route to victory and the number 24 ranking. Uh, and they uh, earn a spot in the NCAAs uh, uh, on the Easter Sunday. It was a big win for Brian Canico. And um, by the way, uh, Val- uh, Valeria Zaleva, who is the number 19 player in the uh, in the country for UCF, um, once again, uh, or actually, she won the most, uh, uh, the conference most outstanding player. Um, wow, it's just a, a, a remarkable performance by Brian Canico's team, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I remember we talked about it, you know, and certainly being the top seed, being in Lake Nona there, and to beat South Florida, your rivals, and uh, lock up that title, deal with uh, some of the elements with the tournament being pushed back. Just an incredible two-year run, really, if you go back to last year when they made the tournament for the first time until since 2 and they won that first-round matchup. Uh, just exciting. Uh, an amazing turnaround. And with men's tennis as well as we'll get to, an amazing year for both tennis programs. And, and the fact that we're merely even talking about the tennis programs and making noise in the postseason. Uh, Jeff, I know you've covered this a lot longer than I did. Did you ever think those sentences would be uh, – combined there UCF tennis and making a noise in the NCAA tournament because this women's team can make noise here yeah I I always thought that they could I always thought that they could but it, it depended on whether or not they made the amount of investment that they wanted to like we were talking about last week with this and lo and behold they did um they're 24th right now they moved up a spot um in the ITA um and uh here's the best part about this Lopez though is that Starting with the quarters, starting with the quarterfinals, that's hosted at Lake Nona. So they're trying to get back home. And they wow. Get, isn't it? Wow, that's unbelievable. Lake Nona. So, so say that again. That's important to say that. So, okay, so the, the NCAA tennis tournament, they, the men's and women's tournaments coincide. It goes from May 16th through the 25th, both the men's and the women's. Starting with the team quarterfinals, that's the elite, that's the round of eight. It's all at Lake Nona. And then when that's over, when the team competition is done, then they have the singles and doubles tournaments. Uh, so, but that's a big, that's a big way. So if UCF can get that far, 
they're playing with house money. They're at home. They're playing on their home court. Now, the thing that worries me about that, because I've seen this happen in softball with Oklahoma because the World Series is Oklahoma City. There's this theory out there that what they'll do is the team that's hosting the championship, they tend to give them a hard road to get there. So that only, that's the thing that only worries me is they might get a hard draw, and that's something we're going to have to look at when that draw comes out next week. Well, what kind I of got, draw they get? Sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, about, sorry to interrupt, but I was I just pulled up actually Slam te, Slam dot tennis. They they actually do a men's and women's tennis bracketology. So we are breaking it down deep. Okay? Woo, Murph, huh? They, they what have, a world, huh? I know. Where's Joe Minardi uh, on this? I know. Well, they, 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 of, this is what. This is what they've got. They've got uh, well for women. I don't know. It's just it's just a thing here. I don't see it, even an author. Uh, but Jesus. the yeah, um, maybe it's Lenardi's side gig after basketball's done. Maybe maybe. Uh, but uh, but right now they have UCF in a four-team pod in Tallahassee. Of Florida course, State. always gotta go to Tallahassee. God darn yeah. it, a butt ride. Jeez. Uh, Right now, they have the, the four teams with them. Uh, they have Florida State would be the 11th seed, so that gives you an idea of where in the bracket UCF would be. Um, and they have Florida State playing South Alabama in the first round and UCF playing Alabama. Whoa. So, Who's claiming that victory? They have to defend our honor out there, man. Um they, uh, uh, but yeah, we do want Bama. Um, it, it, that's what we're looking at right now is, you know, not a seed, not hosting, um, for at least the first two rounds. How many did you so, say host? Uh, four, four. It's a 14 bracket. No, well, I mean, I mean the, the whole tournament. Oh, the whole team is 64. So I would what the right. top 16 hosts basically. Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. Top 16 host. And we're not a top 16. Unbelievable. All right. We're, that's an outrage. That's clearly a bi- P5 biasness. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to hear football fans complain about the rankings anymore after this. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's outrageous. How are we not top 16, Jeffrey? Well, Pepperdine is sixth. I just wanted to put that out there. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> let's, let's give them credit. By the way, I think they have only – UCF would be the only – American Athletic Conference team in the women's side that they're predicting to uh, to go in there. Um, but again, we'll be waiting for the uh, uh, for the release of the bracket. And and I know Eric, you told me when they when they release the bracket. When does that come out again? It's next week, I believe. Next it's week. Monday. Okay. So we'll be keeping a back to back on NCAA.com, unless somebody wants to leak it out in advance, which has happened. as Well, Well, ESPN's not televising it, so I don't think that's going to be possible. No, but I I accidentally leaked the men's soccer one uh, this year. Because that was on tape. No, you you didn't. It was was already released. You just fast-forwarded it through. I mean, you didn't make a mistake. They leaked it themselves. (laughs) You're welcome. Congratulations. Um, now, the men, on the other hand, not so lucky. Uh, they also played South Florida in the final, um, but they came up short four to three. It, it did come down to the final um, group, but South Florida avenged a four nothing uh, loss to UCF uh, in the uh, 
just a week prior to that, exactly a week prior to that, um, and they come away with, I think, their fifth conference championship in the last six seasons. So um, so a, a real bummer for UCF men's tennis. But, you know, I, I did a little bit of uh, digging on this, Eric, and I don't it, it's it's not so bad because obviously, like we said, number one, they already beat South Florida once uh, in the week prior uh, and beat them for nothing. Um, now, UCF's overall record is 15 and 10. Might not look all that great, but bear in mind that 16 of their 25 matches this season for UCF men's tennis has been against 15 teams ranked in the ITA top 50 as of right now. Um, they're 6-10 and 10 in those matches, but uh, and they had won seven of their last eight prior to being upset in the conference um, championship. So that's why in the latest ITA, they're 28th. Um, but, uh, or, or that actually, no, wait a minute. Let me double check that because that was, that was supposed to come out on, uh, Tuesday. Uh, let's, okay. They dropped only one spot. They're 29th in the latest ITA. So they played a ridiculously hard schedule, um, played fairly well throughout that schedule too. Um, yeah, I remember. And, I kept telling you not to worry. You were all freaking out, and they were off to the slow start, win loss record. Well, they, I told they, you don't. They had lost the, you know, they had lost some matches, some some close matches where if it if they won, it felt like that could have given them a little bit more of a leg up. And you never know. I mean, one or two more of them, they could be, and they could be ITA top twenty. You know, I mean, that's that's one of the well, things the, that you the, want to do. The don't, important don't, thing is, yeah, the important thing is that number should get them into the tournament, um, and they'll be back there for the second time in three years under Roddick, mm-hmm. and. To my knowledge, Jeff, unless you know a bit more than I do, I it's the first time that I I think men's and women's tennis would be in the NCAA tournament. I believe that's true. I, I would have to double check with. Um, I'm sure we'll get details officially next week. Yeah. But that's a it's a remarkable story for John Roddick and company uh, to get him in uh, in tennis. I mean, we've seen the matches on the tennis channel. People have been going out to the matches. I watched the yep. finals in the American Championship. There was a great there was a crowd there. I mean, people are going to these tennis matches, and I, I don't know how they figured it out, but they figured out an audience that, hey, people will go watch tennis, and people have yeah. gone out to see the tennis tournaments. Give them credit. Well, it comes down to the fact, just like every other sport, if they're good, people – if you're good, people will come. Uh, by the way, the men's tennis bracketology on Slam.Tennis has UCF in Gainesville. <laughs> oh. Play, uh, what is play, this? Well, golly, right? it's, it's, typ- uh, it's, like, God, Florida, it's typical spring tradition unlike any other. Yeah. UCF Sports bust to Gainesville or Tallahassee for the tournament. Uh, they have Florida as the four seed, and it's an all-Florida pod there with UCF playing Florida State and Florida playing Florida Gulf Coast in their uh, latest projection. By the way, three American Athletic Conference teams projected to make the field uh, Tulane is one, and uh, South Florida. And when does the tournament start? Uh, next weekend, right? Where, yeah, next weekend. Uh, for, uh, yeah, so it's going to be uh, you know right around right around the and corner. And then the so. following weekend, the uh, what is it? The quarterfinals you said would May, be in Lake May fifteenth. Yeah, or May sixteenth, starting May sixteenth, the quarterfinals. The team quarterfinals start in Lake Nona. All right, no more excuses, Sharon. No more excuses, boys. We're going. We're going. And regardless of if UCF wins, it gets that far or not, I think we should 
make a trip down I don't there. Think Mer- I don't think Luke and Murph might join then on that plan, but I'll join you on that. I'm joining with well, you. Well, I've got an open weekend because baseball has an open weekend uh, here in a few weeks. So, you know, yeah, let's, 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 you let's make it a carpool. Listen, like I said, the drive shack is right down there. Okay, we can all go hang at the drive shack afterwards and take in a little I'll bit of I'll meet you guys at drive shack. All right. <laughs> <laughs> just talks in. His, his, first, his first words like 15 minutes <laughs> go meet you, drive speaking um speaking of golf uh i i wanted to transition over to this um ucf uh, women's golf <laughs> yeah ucf women's golf uh, found out today that they are in the ncaa regionals uh they will play in the clee ellum regional field um where is that, by the way? Uh, it's where the University of Washington. Oh, man. They're, they're, yeah, hosted by the University of Washington. 13th National. Very proud of women's golf. They don't worry about bus trips. They'll fly you anywhere. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, I mean, the luggage costs must be unbelievable, but there's not that many of them. Um, uh, USC is the, uh, is the one seed in that regional. UCF is playing, well, a bunch of Western teams, obviously, but not all Western teams. Arkansas is out there. South Carolina. Uh, Northwestern's out there. Miami is out there. Um, Old Dominion, Ohio State. So a pretty good field out there for uh, UCLA. But congrats to uh, Emily Marin. Uh, once again, her team making the uh, NCAA tournament, Eric Lopez. Six time in nine years women's golf has been in the NCAA tournament. 14th time overall that the program has been to the NCAA tournament. And it is the seventh UCF program this athletic year that has made postseason, gentlemen, and I'm talking NCAA's or bowl game. It it, it kind of strengthens the argument that I think we've all been pushing for the last couple months, just taking a, a full view of all this. This is the most successful year, I think, athletically, uh, on the field or court or pitch or whatever, most successful year in UCF athletics history. I'm tr- I, I'm interested. All right, I'm 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 already working on the spreadsheet, but this summer I want to look at, like, combined records for Sounds all. Sounds like a story all- idea. I, yeah, combined records for all UCF teams across all the years, and see which which year has had the highest winning percentage. I think well, it, not only that, but like, it. but yeah, I mean, but like you, like making the making the NCAA tournament is the goal for every one of these teams. Right. I mean, except for football. Uh, I mean, but really, it is. So I mean, yeah. it's it, it, so the, no matter what the record is, they made it. They made yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and think about it's not all like the golf has a record, really. But anyway, yeah, right. But think about the More conference than- championships: men's soccer, volleyball, football, making it uh, women's golf finish runner-up in the conference championship. So, I mean, it's it, it's not just making the postseason; they're making it with a you know big punch. I mean, with conference and, titles. And rowing is still to come here in May, and so we'll yeah. see what happens. And they've there. been dominant year right in year. Yeah. Right. So. So, yeah, yeah it's, we're looking at with both tennis teams and the rowing program, probably up to 10 teams making the NCAA tournament. And we don't know what's going to happen with track and field and the rest of the stuff. But I mean, we're looking at at least 10, 10 sports teams. Yeah, that's amazing. That's uh, yeah. I mean, How many do we have, Jeff? Wait, wait, it was a we've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eighteen. Is that is that right? No, six, four, eight. I can't I can't do math. Um <laughs> 16 total sports. There you go. Wow. So you can get so, 60% of your teams in the NCAA tournament. That's pretty good. That's not bad. Not bad. Not a bad day's work. Uh, congrats mm-hmm. also, also, by the way, to um, 
Elizabeth Moon, uh, who is named Freshman of the Year in the American for Women's Golf. Uh, and Maria Balcazar and uh, Elizabeth Moon were also named to the uh, all-conference team. So congrats to them um, as well. Now, men's golf, uh, we still have yet to find out about them. I think we find out um, next week. They came in third in the American Athletic Conference uh, golf tournament. They were uh, uh, Memphis won it at straight even par. Uh, UCF finished uh, in third. Uh, they were 13 over par as a team. Top individual performers were uh, Kyler Tate, who finished uh, in fourth at four under. The winner of the individual tournament was McClure Meissner of SMU, which is such a golf name. Um, it, it, oh. Minus 13. He sh- this kid shot 66, 66, 68. Ouch. Uh, Ouch. Yeah. It, and uh, en route to winning the individual uh, medalist title ahead of another real great golf name, Austin Squires of Cincinnati. Um, Kyler Tate, by the way, finished ahead of Albin Bergstrom of South. I'm just going to pronounce these names for fun. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, Kyle Flexenhar of South Florida as well. Um, Bobby Bai of UCF, by the way, finished at even par uh, seventh place. Uh, in the medal. So we're going to find out about uh, Bryce Waller and the men's team uh, within yeah. the next week. See where, I don't know what this means. Golf, go, golfstat.com, which has the rankings for golf, has men's golf ranked 75th. So I don't know if that's, that, that you know, like, that may not be good, but I don't know. It might, it might not be the best, but it's Is there a golf psychologist out there? Do we know? I, I think mean, they're <laughs> looking at it on golfstat.com. <laughs> but, um, but I do think, though, that uh, – uh, Looking at what they have left, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's gonna, it's gonna be tough to, it, it's gonna be tough for them. I think uh, the way this, this is coming out. Although a third place finish in the conference, you know, not too bad. So now you realize that the now the selection show for that is next Wednesday, prime time on the Golf Channel, getting prime time nine p.m. Eastern. Wow, late, late night. UCF golf after dark. All right, uh, that takes us to softball, Eric Lopez. Um, yes who ended a nasty schneid uh, tonight. Now, by the way, the schneid somewhat continued with a loss and a doubleheader to FIU uh, in eight innings. You called both of those games and actually just got back home. But um, it's, uh, yeah, you're like literally walking through the door. But uh, they got off the schneid with a a 7-0 win against Bethune-Cookman. But um, it was rough. They got swept at Tulsa, and this was on the heels of getting swept by South Florida. So they'd lost six in a row in conference. I guess my question is about this: about this team is, is the, are they just in a, in a swing of bad luck, or did the schedule just catch up to them? Like, are they really that? Is this really their? what they are or have they just gotten caught at, at a bad part in the schedule? Oh, I mean, it's a combination of things. I mean, you, you think back to the Tulsa series, they had a two nothing league going into the sixth inning and then the uh, mother nature decides to open up rain and the uh, lovely umpires in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I've seen up close in person decided, Hey, this is still good weather. We could still play on this. Hey, why can't we play it softball in the rain? Forget the fact that the pitcher can't hold a grip on the ball. Uh, 
So they played in the rain, and Tulsa scored four runs, and they get a 4-2 win, and then they come from behind in the seventh inning and come from behind and beat UCF. I mean, it just happens. And Murph and Luke, you guys could speak on this. It's no different in baseball, and it is in softball. A lot of this gets mental, and I don't care who you are. When a couple things go bad, it turns negative. This is These two sports are so based on failure. You fail mm-hmm. more times than you, than, you, than you succeed, and yet, and yet these players – when things you you lose a couple games or you go in a, in a slump it, offensively, it gets in your head, and that's what's happened to this team. Now, hopefully, Wednesday night, you know they scored seven runs off Bethune Cookman. Cassidy Brewer hit a home run. You're hoping a little positive like that can maybe just kind of free them up offensively here moving forward for the Houston series because they've obviously been stymied uh, offensively. Some of that credit to Tulsa pitching and South Florida pitching. But some of this is also mental from the standpoint of when you're struggling, you're pressing a little bit, and it just messes with your head. It's one of the more fascinating things about the sport of softball and baseball. I think that's why I think we all follow these two sports because of the the uniqueness of it, right? Absolutely. Like you said, there's so much failure that if you succeed, you know, 30, 40 percent of the time, you are fantastic. Right. And, uh, and again, it, there's no harder thing to do in sports than hitting a round ball with a round bat. It's a moving ball that is moving fast and moving horizontally and vertically with a round skinny bat. It doesn't make any sense. And yet people do it at spectacular levels. It's what makes the sports much fun. By the way, hitting a round ball with a round bat squarely, I should say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and Murph, I mean, you've talked about it. I'm sure you guys have addressed it with the baseball and the struggles and some of the portions of the lineup. Um, you know, and it's, it does, sometimes it just gets to you mentally. If you don't hit for a while, it's tough to get out of a slump. I feel in, in baseball and softball, it's a lot harder to get out of a slump than it is to maintain your success just because of the randomness of the game. You could be hitting the ball as well as you did two weeks ago, but instead of hitting the the gaps and the holes, you're hitting the ball right at people. It's just a, a very frustrating sport at times. And I think UCF's hit that. Remember, you still got a lot of youngsters on this roster, and they have to deal with that. You're talking about 17 to 21 year olds. I mean, we've seen big leaguers making millions of dollars struggle. What did Chris Davis go? What 48 at bats without a hit or, or some ridiculous 59 plate appearances? That's incredible, and that's a big leaguer. Uh, so, you know, it's a struggle. It, it's not been pretty. I get it. I know uh, you know fans have hit me up, so I get it, but. Uh, you hope that the Bethune-Cookman game is a positive there, get some confidence offensively. Brianna Vasquez had a career-high 11 strikeouts. And, you know, they got a big series with their rivals in Houston this weekend. So, I mean, they, they've got to find some mojo here uh, to make a run here to have a shot at making the NCAA tournament. Well, what do they got? They got Houston coming up, is that right? So yep. what, we know how, you know, how these two schools – uh, go at it, but uh, what is the what is the scouting report on Houston this year, Elo? Well, Houston's deep on pitching, and have the other co-pitcher of the year in the American Conference and Savannah Hebner. They've decided they've gone more of the baseball route. They'll start three pitchers on a weekend. I mean, they're very baseball ass from that standpoint. You know, they've had some similar struggles offensively than UCF has, uh, but they've picked it up lately. Their RPI is forty. UCF's at fifty. So, this is a huge series here. I think the winner of this series. You know, especially if it's Houston, they take a big step into maybe being that third team in the American Conference to uh, be an at-large possibility for the NCAA tournament. Whereas possibly the loser of this series is probably thinking we got to win the conference tournament in Houston 
in a couple of weeks to make the tournament. So yeah. uh, it's all, it's going to be intense. It's going to be a big series. What's fascinating about this series, they've played every year since 2006. The home team won every series from 2007 to 2016. The last three seasons, the road team has won the series. So uh, hopefully for UCF's standpoint, they uh, snap that streak. But it's going to be a big series, and I expect yeah. it to be low scoring, and it's going to come down to timely hitting. It is senior weekend, by the way. In addition to that, in the standings, I mean, you're looking at the middle two teams in the American because Houston is in fourth and UCF is in fifth. Houston, by the way, eight and six in the league. UCF right now at uh, seven and eight. Um, still with quite a gap between them and the and the next team behind them, which is uh, UConn. But yeah, yeah um, UCF, is, UCF feels like they're hanging on by their fingernails to that upper tier of the American right now. Yeah, no question about that. I mean, they faced the top the top two teams in the league, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with Houston. This could be a preview of the opening round of the conference tournament. I, you know, if it, the way I, it looks like right now, it looks like UCF's probably going to play either Houston or Wichita State in that opening round in Houston. So, you know, you want to be peaking going into that tournament and feeling good about yourself and feeling positive and feeling good about how you're playing going into that tournament. I think that's what it starts with this series with Houston. Uh, to make a statement there. It's a big series, and uh, we'll see what happens with these two teams. And uh, like I said, it'll be interesting with Hebner and White pitching matchup. Who comes up with the timely hitting? Neither team depends on the long ball, which is very fascinating. So uh, you're going to see a lot of sacrifices, and timely hitting is going to determine that series. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday at 6, Saturday 2, Sunday at noon. Uh, for uh, UCF, and you said, uh, and they, are they doing the Senior Day thing on Sunday? Because I know they have one more home game against North Florida on Wednesday. Is uh, that right? I haven't heard. I know this. We're doing a they're doing a senior banquet at six o'clock Sunday night. Okay. Uh, it's out on social media. Joe, go to UCF underscore softball. Go to UCFnights.com. There's more details for fans actually could participate in that. Something new that Coach Ball Malone's brought here uh, that she's done elsewhere, and that's do a senior banquet where fans can go out and hang out with the seniors. And uh, so I'm actually going to be at that. That'll be uh, oh, cool. on campus. So I'm looking forward to that. So there's details on that, UCFnights.com. There's three seniors. Cassidy Brewer has been a four-year senior. Aaron Emanuel has been a two-year senior, and Brooke Barlow's a two-year senior uh, here. Some Wait, Cassidy's the senior already, man. Is that true? Jeez, yep. Louise, man. Yeah, God. it's gonna be weird for me. I've known that kid since about 2010 because her sister Danielle played here in 20, uh, 2012, 2013. So she's been around this program for a long time. Gosh, man, we are all getting old. All right, um, like we're gonna let you go, Eric, because I know you got uh, you got more stuff we gotta do. When we come back. Uh, we're going to talk baseball with uh, with Luke and Brian and wrap some things up uh, as well on the happenings from the week that was in uh, UCF sports. All right, stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. All right, back on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, uh, along with Brian Murphy and Savage Luke Saris with you uh, as we uh, dive right back in. We're going to talk a little uh, UCF baseball here. Uh, with uh, w- with these two guys, and uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, it, it, uh, the good news is they got the victory over uh, Bethune Cookman in walk off fashion on uh, Tuesday night, five to four, in extra innings, thanks to a uh, Matthew Micah bases loaded hit. Uh, he went three for five with a home run the other day, but um, the fact remains for this team is that it's still. It's still, it's, it's not still very good. Not, not, it's, it's not great, Bob. No. Um, 
Lost two out of three at Wichita. Uh, the one win was an 11-3 victory, but couldn't get the job done on Sunday. 6-4 to four was the loss. Um, they, uh, they have another key series coming up this weekend with Memphis at home. And Memphis is suddenly starting to look like they're at long last after the last few years really hitting uh hitting a bit of a stride uh in terms of their baseball program but you know looking back at this last weekend in this and the road series at wichita murph i'll begin with you um i guess it's just more of the same at this point right it's they're 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 hardly they're barely treading water yeah another series loss um you know grant sherman i guess you know if you look at his line, the Thursday night, this Thursday night opener, the series opener on Thursday, he did not pitch well according to his line. But I, I thought he pitched better than the line stayed to give eight or runs. But really, Wichita State just has some great at bats against him. He he gave some some seeing eye hits, and the defense behind him wasn't that strong. So, you know, all the kind of came together. And and when and when UCF can't or when when Sherman or Chris Williams isn't you know, at least uh, at like a B-plus level, uh, UCF's going to have a hard time winning series because they just cannot win series finales for the life of them because they just don't have pitchers that can really give them any sort of depth or quality on on Saturday or on Sundays, on what's, on what's traditionally your Sunday game. So they lose the, they lose the, uh, the Sherman game. Chris Williams comes back on Friday, the middle game, pitches well. They, they really blow out Wichita State, but again, they can't carry it over. And they lose the finale. Um, I think runners in score position has been the real focus of the week. Uh, there's a lot of talk about that after the game against Bethune Cookman on Tuesday. Uh, I think Love Lady's words were, "We've been god awful at it," uh, and it's true. I think their their OPS with like runners in score position and two outs, their OPS is like sub 600. Uh, their batting average is like 220. Uh, they they just do not. They, they, I mean, if you want to argue that clutch hitting doesn't exist, that's a different conversation. But in terms of hitting in timely fashion, they, they're not very good at it. And they have not been very good at it all year. And I think that was uh, that was that was borne out mostly uh, in that Thursday game against Wichita State. I think they went three for 18 uh, with runs in scoring position and left 13 men on base. And I think 10 of those 13 men left on base were on second or third. And uh, so that's a, that's a huge issue. It's dogged them a lot. It's going to continue to dog them until they can figure it out. And if you add that, to their lack of pitching depth, both the starting rotation and the bullpen, which has been hurt by injuries, uh, you've got a team that's that's strongly that that is uh, that is just uh, so innately mediocre. Uh, that's what we've got. Man, Savage Luke, how are you going to follow that one up? I mean, it, well, right now they're they're in second to last place at five and ten in the league, which you know, there are three teams right now tied with with five wins: Memphis, Wichita. And and UCF and you know for UCF only one of those wins was against Wichita State but um, USF is in last at two and ten and remember that the last place team in the regular season does not advance to the conference tournament. So, also remember also remember that UCF has already played USF. They won that series. So they don't get to play. So really USF can't gain gain any ground on UCF uh, right. because they've already played. And USF is two and ten. Right. In the conference, UCF is five and ten in the conference. Luke, you have a different perspective on it. Um, I don't know what, in your opinion, has been this this team's just 
bugaboo other than just everyone is injured. I mean, injuries are play part. Well, first of all, let's let's look at it at where we are currently. So you got 13 games left in the season. You're seven games above 500 and you're number 76 in the RPI. Mm-hmm. It really could be a lot worse. That's I mean, fair. You're, you're, you're still a top, you know, for all intents and purposes, a top 75 RPI team with a lot of big RPI games left on the schedule. You got uh, Miami. You have um, Miami, who's 14 in the RPI. You have FAU, who's 50 in the RPI. Houston, who's 37 in the RPI. You got some big games left. So um, the season's definitely not lost, especially with them, you know, seven games above 500 and sitting at 76 in the RPI. So let's start with that before, uh, you know, we go saying things like, uh, you know, a, a player sucks or something like that, because that's just not right. <laughs> no, one, no one would say that. No, no one on this podcast. Um <laughs> But the the, the biggest thing to me has been, you know, just lackluster pitching. I mean, you you had a team last season who underperformed overall, but still had a a 3-3-2 ERA. Now, obviously, you lost a lot of big names like J.J. Montgomery and uh, Thad Ward and, and, you know, Sheridan's still not back. Um and and Bryce Tucker, so th- I mean, those are some some big arms that that UCF lost and had and had to replace. But now you have a, a pitching staff that has a a, a four hundred one ERA, and you know that's just not going to do it. Um, Chris Williams, ha- you know, has come back, but he's not uh, a pitching like he 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 doesn't have the stats that you uh, were expecting out of him. Like I said, we still don't have uh, uh, Joe Sheridan. So, I mean, yes, injuries tie into it. They lost Justin Parker as the pitching coach. Um, I, I, I think that's the biggest. I mean, obviously, you know, bad or uh, offensively, they are challenged clearly. But that was also an issue they dealt with last season. Um, but they they were able to counteract that with, with, with decently strong pitching. Um, you know, you got guys like, Griffin Bernardo, who who is expected to have a, a big season, batting two twenty two. Well, you, you know that that's that's just not going to cut it. Um, and you lost guys like Ryland Thomas, and you know, the, Love Lady was stuck trying to replace a lot of big pieces on this team, and um, right now there just isn't anybody really stepping up to replace those um, you know those gaps from last season, but. Lots of baseball yet to be played. 13 games, a lot can change. Well, I think what's interesting is I was looking at the hitting numbers in in the American. UCF right now is hitting 267 as a team. And that is fifth in the conference. Um, just behind Memphis at 273. USF, who's last, is hitting 265. UConn, who is uncharacteristically struggling for them, is hitting 263. So those three teams who usually are pretty good year in and year out, especially with the bats are all clustered in the middle of the conference within four, uh, uh, you know, percentage points of each other. UConn, by the way, 25 and 16 this year, seven and eight in the league. Um, 
ECU continues to pace everybody in 11 and one right now, but um, man, this is just a topsy turvy year in the American, isn't it? I mean, South Florida, who's usually really good and usually, you know, a contender late in the season, certainly were last year, two and 10 in the American. This is, gosh, this is such a screwy year, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, really one of the, one of the biggest MLB draft, well, I would say MLB draft risers in this conference is a guy on Tulane, which I don't think anybody, I mean, certainly Cody Hosey had a great year last year, but he has been amazing this year. And so when your best player is arguably your best player in the conference is on Tulane, it's it, it, not think anybody would have thought that really coming into this year. Uh, we all knew Alec Baum was way good last year, and but we saw that coming. We knew, we, we knew that, that the Yukon should be good and then East Carolina, East Carolina has been great. So that's, that's been, that's, there's that. Everything else. Is sort even of though, like, even so they had that bad year last year, which was just like such an anomaly. Really? That was, it was a total outlier, time. right? It felt like a total outlier. It was like, everything went wrong for them. They had a lot of injuries too. Uh, but going back to UCF, I guess they're kind of blessed by the fact that this conference is not as strong as it was last year. Now they've dropped a spot in the RPI. I think they're now fifth uh, overall in the nation. They were fourth last year, but this, there's still a pretty wide gap from the talent level of what this conference was last year to this year. And I guess that helps UCF because come conference tournament time next month in Clearwater, um, it's really anybody, you know anything could happen. Again, I can I can see a lane where this team you know makes some noise in the tur- in the conference tournament. If you know Grant Sherman and Chris Williams pitch well, which we know they can, we know they can. Again, like like Luke said, Chris has not been as consistent, but he's been he's been solid, and Grant's been their best pitcher by far. If those guys give you good starts, and then you get, you know, they they basically have half an offense. They have Micah, Matthew Micah, Tyler Rosick, Ray Alejo, Dallas Beaver, and maybe Dalton Wingo. And then other than that, you have no idea what you're getting from anyone else. If you can get some of those other guys clicking. To go along with the guys at the top who are playing well, have consistently played well all year, and get those good starting pitchers, uh, get those good starts out of those uh, out of Sherman and Williams, then you've got a chance. Um, yeah. But again, that's so many things that need to come together. And I will say, I'll just finish on this: the key to any Love Lady team that we've seen last since he's been here the last few years, you he wants to have a, don- a dominant bullpen. He wants to shorten the game, and this team just doesn't have it. Unfortunately, it's due to injuries. They thought they were going to have David Litchfield. He hasn't pitched all year. He's out. They thought Zach Helsel would be a seventh inning guy for them. He's out with Tommy John. They thought they had Brian Saltonstall as a grad transfer. He's out as well. Joe Sheridan's out. Uh, Zach uh, Trevor Holloway's out. There's just so many injuries that pitching staff, and that really hamstrings what Greg Lovelace's teams wants to do, which they don't want to outscore you. They want to outpitch you, and the pitching is just not there. And yeah, yet, <laughs> I'm sorry, Luke. <laughs> Uh, I was gonna say, I was gonna make this quick point, and yet they have a uh, as a team UCF is third in the conference in ERA, which is which, nuts. Yeah, which, okay. yeah. Figure this. ECU in Houston. <laughs> figure so. this. Their third best reliever right now, I would say, is probably at, at. I would say arguably their second best, but at least their third best reliever is Zach Hunsaker, a freshman out of Missouri. He was probably going to redshirt this year. And I guess it's a good thing that they didn't they didn't redshirt him because they needed him and he's been he's been good. But that kind of tells you where this pen has been. This yeah. this 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 pen is is just not what they thought it was going to be. Go ahead, Luke. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, and then and, and and there are guys like Garrett Westberg who, you know, I, I was expect I was ex- actually expecting him to be the closer this season, 
and and he's had some rough moments. So just um, injuries and, and lack of consistency with guys like Westberg and, and, and Chris Williams and in my eyes, you know, it's you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. Well, they do have a chance to at least try and stop the bleeding against uh, Memphis uh, this weekend. Uh, the three games set uh, will be once again at home. And by the way, Memphis comes in 20 and 18, five and six in the conference. They are they are in sixth place, uh, one back of UConn, at least at this very moment. Uh, and uh, first pitch Friday, it's it's the typical six, six, uh, one weekend, so 6 p.m. Friday, 6 p.m. Saturday. 1 p.m. Sunday, and I think the weather's supposed to be good uh, this weekend, too. Right, Murph? Is that right? I hope so. I mean, if it's not, at least we have a covering in our media area, so <laughs> we'll be okay. But uh, That's I all know. about that. That's priorities. <laughs> Fend for yourselves, my people. Uh, Friday, we got a 40% chance of showers in the afternoon, or early afternoon, late morning, but Saturday and Sunday should be nice. Sunday should be hot, 88 degrees, so. Um, so yeah, well, it's gonna, it's gonna rain Friday. I got, uh, I have fancy club seats for Friday. Uh, around noon, around noon, they're expecting thunderstorms. It should clear out of here by game time though. 6 p.m. They're expecting to be, uh, sunny. Well, I'll, I'll be covered either way with, with the other rich people. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So, So UCF against Memphis this week. And then, uh, the following, uh, they got UNF. On Tuesday, but that's up in Jacksonville, and then they go to New Orleans to face Tulane mm-hmm. the first weekend in uh, in May. When is that sort of bye weekend, Murph? Is that that bye oh, weekend is the next to last weekend of the regular season? Gotcha. Okay, so so right before the Houston series, is that right? In between the Miami and FAU game, yeah, that's right. Correct. Yes. Okay. So you know UCF uh, basically, you know, you see it like. Uh, that USF is is two and ten, and uh, what's Mem- you said Memphis is what in the conference? Memphis is uh, five and six. Five you know, and six, yeah, yeah. UCF, where it all evens out. Yeah, UCF is five and ten. It evens out because they had a late season uh, series against Dayton that was going to be scheduled, and then and then uh, things happened that I won't get into, and and uh, it's not scheduled anymore. I think. Uh... I think Memphis also had a game wiped if too. If they're five, if they're at five and six, that's not a multiple of three too. So I think mm-hmm. that it they must have had a, a game wiped due to uh, I don't know maybe weather or weather. travel or something. I don't know, but I, I don't know the details on it. But I'm sure we'll figure it out later. All right, uh, let's wrap this thing up here uh, as we get uh, as we finish up here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Obviously, our NFL draft coverage is going to be ramping up on uh, Thursday. We'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, what happens with Tristan Hill and anybody else who goes early. Uh, and uh, I think we're probably going to get a lot busier as the weekend happens on Saturday with uh, with the uh, with the final rounds and, of course, the uh, undrafted free agency. Uh, Savage Luke, what do you uh, what do you have coming up on tap? Just to remind everybody. Uh, wrapping up the uh, the Tristan Hill draft profile right now. Going to put together a um, another profile of potential late rounders um, slash undrafted free agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we, you know what we did talk about today the uh, the Alabama guard UCF got for basketball. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that yeah. was and we'll get the chance to actually do that a little bit more. I think probably probably next week because you know we'll have 
I guess a more clear picture with basketball too, because I don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with uh, with Terrell Allen yet. But uh, but that was a pretty big pickup for UCF men's basketball too, because he's a six five uh, point guard. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Yeah, and uh, so, Terrell Allen's actually, um, I believe, this week is visiting Georgetown. I did hear that about Georgetown. It's he's still it's still not official yet that he is. That that he is actually tra- he hasn't said he's going to transfer. He might pull a Matt Williams still. I'm but, just uh, what I, do we know I'm, about this guy from Alabama, uh, Luke? Um, not a whole lot. <laughs> Which I was, gonna, I was I was going to segue into. I will be uh, you know writing a a breakdown of him. Which and that's when I will learn more. Yeah, days because on. I, I, I posted that. Name. I posted that that way too early starting five, and then like the next day. We got a center that nobody thought we were going to get, and then it, now it's all jacked up. So I, I need to go back and readdress that. I know. Well, hey, that's why it was way too early, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was up to the building. Well, uh, last year, Dazon Ingram, he was, uh, or rather, he was a pretty. He was named Alabama's outstanding offensive player of the year as a freshman. He was uh, second in scoring, ten point six a game. Score saw a scoring decrease over uh, over the years, but. Um, but he uh, he is expected to uh, uh, he is expected to transfer. Actually, he announced on his Instagram that he is transferring to UCF. And there's also been some rumors about Matt Milan, who's from Oviedo originally and uh, played at William and Mary. But he was actually he's actually visiting um, UCF. He was a, a 13 point scorer, very good shooter. Um, Milan's also thinking about uh, Virginia. This is according to Jeff Goodman. He's also thinking about Virginia Tech, Charlotte, and Illinois. But he could come back home to uh, to Orlando. So that's another name to uh, sort of keep an eye on. Go ahead, Murph. Well, one thing I'll say about Ingram is he. I think his his uh, his presence. Uh, even though we said that Terrell Allen is not officially gone, I think that pretty much shuts the door on Terrell Allen coming back. Okay. Um, so we can assume, I would assume that, that Terrell Allen's not coming back. And I've been, I, I've been told that, that to expect, or don't be surprised if Ingram is the starting point guard for UCF next season. So there's that. I'm just uh, so, I just, I don't, I'm so curious and, and I might have missed something. I'm so curious as to why Terrell Allen wants to leave. I don't know. That's a I good know. question. Maybe we'll find something, but. Uh, I, I, part of it's probably that maybe he wants to end his career with with uh, maybe a spot. Uh, let's be honest here. Maybe he wants to go to another university as a grad transfer where he doesn't have to wait a year, where he can play for a team in a, uh, and, and, and with, with a better chance of possibly making the NCAA tournament. We've said this before. We'll say How it again. How dare you? UCF <laughs> men's basketball is going to have a bit of a rebuilding year. And yes, women's basketball two, too, for that matter. I should say, but yes, way. and now they still have two open scholarship spots. So the the additions to this roster are not done. Uh, you've mentioned Milan; he might be on that list as well. And then they would still have another roster spot. So you're going to see at least two more players added to this team uh, in in short order here, uh, and we'll find out where that is. But obviously, they needed a guard. They needed a point guard badly. They really didn't have anybody left uh, with. With BJ and 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 gone, graduating and Terrell probably gone. You know they had Tony Johnson, the commit, uh, right, but he's, he's a, freshman. a freshman. Yeah, right. He's a true freshman, so you want to have him develop. So they bring in a guy, a grad transfer senior, 
uh, who's a you know a, a lanky kind of facilitating first guard. I think it's perfect for for what Johnny Dawkins wants to do. Is it going to make them a tournament team? No, but uh, you know it's it's at least makes them more respectable. Um, at least they so stabilize the foundation. Right? They, they need they, again. It's just addressing a point of need, and I wouldn't be surprised they went on and got another guard because they again their their backcourt is decimated. And when you look at like you know, can you really trust Caesar to Jesus? Or, or, or even like a, a Frank Burtz, you know, and they're, they're different types of, they're not passing guards. They're more, you know, Frank is, Frank's a shooting guard and, and Caesar is more of a drive and kick guy. But as far as facilitating, like they don't really have anything other than Ingram right now. Like they got, they don't have anything. So I wouldn't be surprised if they got another guard. Yeah. Uh, so there you go, Luke. There's, there's next week for you. <laughs> yeah. Not as early starting five. <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah, for UCF men's basketball, that should be it. That's this is man. It's it really is like free agency. It's like it's like the, it's like all of a sudden you know what the you know what the magic hat or, or the uh, or, or the knights have guys a lot of cap room. Yeah, <laughs> they got a lot of cap room. So those two open scholarship spots are big. Yeah, they got so they got to oh. fill that out. Uh, Murph, what are you working on this week? Well, so I'm going to go out to baseball practice tomorrow, which will be Thursday, my usual Thursday preview that I do with the coaches and a couple of players. I'll be, ca- I'll be talking. Love. Yeah. It kind of, yes, we, we gather in his office and talk. Uh, I'll, I'll be talking about two things. Uh, one, uh, Friday night is the annual Joe Skinner night for UCF baseball. Joe Skinner, for those who don't know, was a UCF baseball commit in 2015. He was going to uh, join the team in 2016. Uh, he died of leukemia five months after being diagnosed. Uh, he died in April of 2016. His three-year anniversary of his death is actually next week. Uh, there's always a month-long fundraiser that is held uh, in honor of Joe uh, that I'm trying to pull up the information to right now. Uh, but it's, it's been held in the last three years. They, they have this goal to... Uh, to raise money to fight uh, pediatric cancer research. I think last year, or 2017, they raised $33,000. I think last year it was down to like $14,000. Um, but anyway, you can find information on the Youth Athletics website. I'm sorry, I don't have the information. But you can go to, actually, you can go to SkinnerStrong.org. Yes, uh, SkinnerStrong.org. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, and you can find out how to donate there in, in Joe Skinner's memory. Uh, Joe Skinner, his legacy is still felt around this program. He should be a junior in this program right now. Uh, his the Skinner Strong hashtag uh, covers the right field wall. His jersey is up in the dugout for every game. They will be wearing jersey with his name on the back of him uh, with with his name on the back of every jersey on Friday night's game. Uh, it's something they've done every year uh, uh, since uh, since his passing, and it's a it's a brilliant night. It's a really emotional night, especially for guys who are really close with him, like um, Dallas Beaver. Uh, who I hope to ha- talk to tomorrow because he and, and and Joe were extremely close. So uh, I, I will talk uh, about that uh, with some of the guys tomorrow. I also talked to Lovelady about the recent major buzz off the field of college baseball, which was the recent denial uh, to college baseball coaches of, of granting them a third assisted paid coach, a third paid assisted coach. Uh, and you know you can you can blame the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, uh, and schools who voted down this. This uh, what would you call it, Jeffrey? This uh, regulation a, or yeah, it was. It, you know what it was? It was a. It was an option. They were giving schools the option to make a third baseball and softball. By the way, 
uh, mm-hmm. a third assistant a paid position. So they weren't requiring it. They were merely asking to uh, they, they were merely allowing it if schools decided to do so. And that got voted down, not by the coaches, but by the administrators, which yes. is which is baffling. Now, you could make all all kinds of other straw men to knock down for that. But the bottom line is I, I, I'm really interested to, be, to hear what what Lovelady has to say about that, because those third assistants, man, they are volunteer assistants. They they <laughs> they for UCF, they, by the way, for UCF, they, that volunteer assistant is Ted Tom. Yeah, it's a volunteer and, by the way, who was an interim head coach for at least one game last year, uh, or actually the year before in a uh, in, in the American in uh, for Cincinnati, if I'm not mistaken, because mm-hmm. um, their coach I think resigned right before their second game in the conference tournament. But like this is a guy with in the case of Ted Tom, this is a guy with significant experience. Uh, he's been around college baseball a very long time and has been a paid assistant in other places. Now he's a volunteer. It, it, it's it's still not clear in college baseball circles why that happened, and I'd be really interested to hear what Greg has to say about it because he's pretty well, plugged in on it. And I, Well, you know, Greg likes to talk, and I've been told that Greg has some hot takes with the, with the, with the bold around the word hot. Uh, on this topic. Uh, so I look forward to talking to him tomorrow about this. As I imagine you would. And you know what? He's not alone. There's a lot of other coaches around there that probably share the same takes as him. Go ahead, Luke. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. I thought I heard you. <laughs> edit, edit that out. Make sure you edit this out. <laughs> I'll edit that out. Okay. Uh, 27th. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up here. And, um, yeah, by the way, I also did want to thank um, Jeremy Brenner, too. Uh, he's going to be doing uh, a little bit of draft work for us um, as well. And uh, I also wanted to uh, pass along congratulations to uh, Zach Goodall, our buddy from uh, who ran around in Jacksonville Jaguars circles. He actually uh, is going to the University of Florida, and he was uh, and he was just it was just announced he's going to be working for uh, UF's rival site. So. Um, our loss to some extent is uh, is definitely their gain. So I wanted to congratulate Zach on uh, a job well done, and uh, he'll always have. We know we know that if we cut deep enough, there's some black and gold there somewhere. So uh, congrats to Zach, and I'm sure we'll be seeing him again um, down the line here too. So as we wrap things up, uh, make sure you follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banner and Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon. Uh, Spokes underscore Murphy, Luke Saris SBN, and of course you can follow Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy NFL Draft Weekend. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you again next week.